welcome, welcome to the Tomahawk Show. I am Andrew Hawkins, one of your co-hosts, joined as always by the future Hall of Famer, but terrible human being, Joe Thomas, and my guy NFD. How you guys doing this week, man? We're doing great over here, and uh, I know you try to promote yourself, but the fans really know how you lack humility, and yeah. I'm really the gracious one. That is that is rich. I can't wait to see what the fans think about humility when those uh, game one jerseys never come in. <laughs> to get a little behind the scenes, Hawk did an open and talked about how humble he is, and he messed up while doing it. He just can't even talk about how humble he is without messing up. I just can't fake it. I can't fake it. Is there a difference between humility and being confident? Like, am I, am I arrogant or am I confident in what I can do? There's a difference, Joe. There is a difference. It's a fine line that you have to walk, uh, but you seem to always stumble over it and get all <laughs> over yourself. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. Listen, in our most recent show, we went to the Indians game. We had a Tomahawk takeover for the Cleveland Indians. Remember to go to Indians.com slash vote. Vote for your favorite Indians player. I was shagging balls all over the field. Joe was striking out, throwing bounce passes like he played in the <laughs> NBA from the, from the mound. Um, and I think it's safe to say that Joe has no future in baseball, which is why we're back here doing another episode of the Tomahawk Show. No future. Can't hit a ball, can't throw a ball. I, I can't even play football anymore. There's no sports that no are going to allow me on the field anymore. So I guess I you're stuck listening to the Tomahawk Show. But make sure you subscribe and rate. And you can always tweet us at hashtag Tomahawk. It's important because uh, without your support, there will be no Tomahawk show. There will be no so Tomahawk maybe that's a good thing. Exactly. Sports. Hawk, how is your flag football training going? You know what? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Dan. Um, it's with great regret. We should have did a decision episode. But, you know, it's with great regret I have to inform our listeners that I have retired from the AFFL. What? The American Flag Football League, and it was a good run. You already backed out? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I made the phone call a couple nights ago to our, our team captain, Justin Forsett, and told him that I wouldn't be able to partake this year. Um, you know, my family, I talked with my family over it, and it was a very tough decision. And I know I let fans down all over the country who were wearing their Andrew Hawkins flag football league jerseys and bobbleheads and <laughs> billboards being flying and marketing and there's so much dollars lost the fact that i'm not going to be in this year but that is uh, the reality i couldn't oh, yeah. get in shape in time to be yeah. honest mm-hmm. but if i was going to keep it all the way uh a hundred as we say where i'm from yeah i just couldn't <laughs> get in shape in time i don't have time to do it man so are you telling me there's an opening why don't you uh tell me justin Forsett's number right now so i can reach out and get on that squad uh, because if, if I send him spam accounts, he'll block me. <laughs> well, hey, there is somebody that is in shape, and his name's Baker Mayfield. You may have heard of him. He was yes. the number one overall pick by the Cleveland Browns this season, and uh, we had a chance to sit down with him this week, so I think it's a great time now. Why don't we kick it to the Baker Mayfield interview? Thanks for joining us again on the Tomahawk Show. We've got a Tomahawk alumni with us today, one of our favorite guests of all time, yeah. Baker Mayfield, number one overall pick. Cleveland Browns. How fortuitous of us to be able to get the bake <laughs> on our show on. during the Super Bowl, have him sit down, and now we get an opportunity to follow back up with him after being the number one overall pick. Here's a little something for all you college prospects out there. Every college prospect that has joined the Tomahawk show has gone number one overall. <laughs> so probably put it into your routine. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Now, let's get right into the hard hitting questions. We yes. had a fast food draft a couple weeks ago. Oh, gosh. 
I took a little franchise called Chick-fil-A, number one overall. I won handily based on the votes from Twitter. And we just want to get your take a little bit. I, I went uh, Chick-fil-A, Culver's, and then all, a bunch of other great ones. He uh -huh. went with the Raisin Shop and it wasn't uh, a raisin Taco shop. Bell. So I'm just curious, who do you think <laughs> should be the number one overall fast food restaurant chain? Not to really jump on your wagon, but I, I do love Chick-fil-A. Okay. Man. Um, but if I had to mix it up and go with something different, I'm going to have to uh, throw in a little curveball with either Popeyes or KFC. Okay. He's a chicken Popeyes guy. Or KFC. He's a chicken guy. Have I'm you ever had Raisin yeah. Canes? Yes. So you've heard of Raisin Canes? You've heard of Raisin Canes. Yeah, they have Raisin Canes down south. You love Texas it? Texas and Oklahoma? It, it's good. Yes. But in my dorm room when I transferred to Oklahoma, uh -huh. I lived on the sixth floor and there was a Canes at the bottom. So was I, it really? It, it smelled like Canes the whole time. Okay. Oh my God. That's probably why. A little I too close. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Close Have you ever heard home. of Culver's? I just heard of Culver's this weekend. Uh, yeah. So he has technically and, heard of it. Well, I never Culver's had it, was one of my picks. You Culver's should. is a great place. You should definitely check it out. It's a regional thing. It's kind of, it started in Wisconsin, but it was real popular in the Midwest. It actually moved on into texas but i think you guys are more into like whataburger water burgers yeah Whataburger's some of those good. other little franchises brahms, brahms and waterburger are down south yeah we're about to do a, a redraft with baker because i feel like he's going to have a completely different set of restaurants <laughs> except the five incredible well, ones that i picked clearly a, a chicken guy but there, there's got to be some tacos being a texas guy there's got to be a taco there's place a place called torchy's tacos okay that originated in austin oh. a food truck Okay. Um, and it, it's pretty dangerous. So. It's Chipotle fast food. Oh, man. Exactly. If so Chipotle I said, was considered fast food, then I would put Chipotle at number one. But Chipotle's I, strong. I would not put it as fast food. I would say it's fast casual. <laughs> yeah, it's fast casual because it doesn't. <laughs> fast casual. Yeah, fast casual. It's like Mission Barbecue. It's fast yeah. casual. But if it doesn't have a fast <laughs> food drive-through, it's not fast food. There we then go. Then it's fast casual or it's a sit-down restaurant. But, um, yeah. But anyways, hey, I could talk about fast food all day, yes, but you, uh, you, you, I'm trying you do, not to actually. get fatter as I sit here. Yeah. Um, we had you on right before the draft, and then you ended up going number one overall. Congratulations for that. Thank you. But was there anything in the draft process that stood out that you really enjoyed or that really surprised you? Or did it all suck? <laughs> Honestly, the traveling and the staying in the hotels was, it was kind of miserable, just yeah. for the most part. Uh, because I went from doing all that, the meetings, the interviews, which once I, once I was actually there and doing the interviews, that was fine. But then when I had to transition into doing workouts for teams and I was so out of shape because all I was doing was sitting <laughs> in hotels and they take you to a nice dinner every night and you're eating a steak. And so uh, that was a little bit tough, mm -hmm. you know, realizing that time management, even though you're traveling around, you got to make sure you're doing the right thing. So that, that, was, that was the worst part. Well, tell me this. When we had you on at the Super Bowl, we started the Baker to Cleveland campaign. Actually, man, started long before uh, that. But we're there gonna there take, we go. We're going to take claim back. to it because we did, we it. did this. You're we welcome, Cleveland. Um, how early in this process did you know you were going to Cleveland? I mean, we had like four picks in the top seven. But even still, <laughs> at what point were you like, you know what? I'm going to be a Cleveland Brown. I okay. Honestly, this is the Tomahawk show. I knew I had a great chance just after my meeting, my visit here, and then after uh, – I work out with them in Norman. When they told you that they were taking you number one. <laughs> they did not tell me that. They did not tell me that. No. They kept it very close to the vest. Uh, no, but about four days up before the draft, I had a dream about, because I had all my family, old coaches coming to town. And so I had a dream that literally exactly what happened on draft night, I had the dream about it. And so wow. I was kind of like, wow, this is going to be pretty surreal if this actually happens. I don't know. I just had a good feeling about it. Jeez, a, a pre-draft dream. 
Pretty sweet. My pre-draft dream was the exact same dream. I went undrafted, and it took me three <laughs> years to get to the NFL. So we call those a nightmare. <laughs> okay, is that what it was? <laughs> what were your feelings when you heard that Cleveland was going to take you, and then they took you number one overall? It, so I was a little bit skeptical about why there were rumors going around. You know, whether they were trying to throw a little bit of cloud up and uh, confuse some people. So I, I wasn't trying to get too far into it, but my, I had a lot of emotions. I, normally, I'm not very nervous. I will just be myself. But that day, I had very few words. You can ask anybody that was around the house. I was pretty quiet, uh, just kind of waiting to see what happened. So uh, just a lot of emotions. But once it finally got the call and knew where I was going to be going, greatest feeling I've ever had in my life. It was such a settling feeling. Was it like a roller coaster going through it? Because I can remember when like the Baker Mayfield train was like taking off. And even after the season, there was conversation that, oh, he might be a second round. Is he good enough to go in the first round? Second, third rounder. So to go from there to number one overall, did you truly and honestly believe that was always going to be the result? No. <laughs> I believed in myself, but not once did I ever know that that was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, you set your expectations high, you have dreams, but being actual reality, that's a completely different ballgame for me. Imagine being so good that you set a lofty goal and attain it. Like, I set lofty goals and don't come anywhere. Like, if I would have said, you know what, I don't care what anybody says, I'm going number one overall, <laughs> the result would have been the same. There's a difference. He has talent, and okay. you don't have talent. So he's allowed Fair. to dream big, and yeah. you just got to go to uh, the CFL realistic. and uh, yep. dream that you get to go on reality shows with Deion Sanders. Makes sense. First or no, it was Michael Irvin. No, yeah, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Uh, it's your co-host. <laughs> so... Um, the Browns have Tyrod Taylor, who's a guy that they traded a third-round pick for this year to be able to bring him in here even before they drafted you. What has your relationship been like with Tyrod since you've been drafted? Uh, first, hearing you say they traded a third-round pick for Tyrod just doesn't make any sense. We, we got a lot more out of that than uh, anybody else could. Uh, the guy that he is for this franchise, for all of our teammates, uh, is unbelievable. And so for me, to be able to watch him and learn from him, it's been great. You know, he sets the bar high, shows up, his work, work ethic. Uh, it's just, it's a great situation for me to come into, uh, to have somebody like that. Uh, but it's, it's good for me overall. No, I think you're right. I th and everyone talks about like, you know, and I don't know if you're familiar with the history here in Cleveland, but <laughs> usually what happens, we draft a quarterback high. He's named the starter within six minutes. Um, <laughs> and then disaster sets in, usually, because it's tough to turn around a franchise that has had the history that Cleveland has had in recent years, and it, it's a lot, and it weighs on guys, and it's pressure, and there is a, a, a time frame where guys need to learn, mature, and develop. So the thing that I'm most excited about for you is that you are with a guy like Tyrod, who is a selfless guy, who has no problem teaching, because I've been in, on teams where that is not the case, because it's a business, everyone's out here to make money, everyone's out here to be a starter, but also that you get to, to develop, and I think the overall goal is that you get the best maker, Baker Mayfield. So you may very well be able to go in there right now and be a playoff quarterback, right? But I think we'd all would agree, or anybody on this side of their career, that the ability to sit, watch, and learn is going to reap a lot of benefit for everybody involved. And you seem like a guy who is willing to, to take that on and you know, I know you're competitive, but I guess what is your thought process? And, and when you hear that you were going to take a year at least to sit down and, and catch the rhythm of the game. Before I get into that, first and foremost, yeah, I'm competitive. So yes. human nature, just, you know, by being a competitive football player, I want to play. Yes. Right. But 
I go back when I was asked this question about having to sit a year or a couple years. The best year that I had to experience in college was when I transferred from Tech to Oklahoma and I had mm -hmm. to sit out. There was so much growth from my freshman year to when I actually played a snap at Oklahoma was a completely different player. Wow. Just based on, I was a scout team guy. I got to go up against the Stoops family every day against their defense, how, <laughs> see how they coached, what they wanted. And so it's a matter of what you do with it. And so right now, how can I make myself the best player? And that's learning from Tyrod and also Drew Stanton. People forget that we brought a guy yeah. in that's had a lot of experience, been around a lot of different uh, offense coordinators and also seen just a lot of the game. And so mm -hmm. uh, for me, being able to sit a year, I need to take advantage of that. You know, I'm not in control of when I'm going to play. Whenever that's going to be, I, I just need to be ready for it. And uh, right now that's learning from a couple guys and then also just uh, taking every opportunity I can to learn from defense coordinator like Greg Williams. Drew Stanton's an old guy like me. He actually was in my draft class, and so Drew Stanton is old he's he's dirt. a guy that's that's played a lot of football, been with a lot of offensive coordinators, like you mentioned. Um, being out here, I remember when I was a rookie playing against these NFL guys for the first time. I was the third pick, not the first pick, but I was a high draft choice. They expected me to come right in and start, and I felt like it was so big and it was almost too much for me right away in OTAs. The guys were so big and fast, the schemes were so complex, the defenses we were seeing were so different than what I saw in college. I felt like I, I struggled a lot that first spring. How has your first experience going against NFL defenses been? How has your first mini camp, rookie mini camp and OTAs gone so far? The biggest difficulty is being able to take this big playbook that I'm now having to learn and transfer it out on the field. Uh, there's just a lot more responsibility at the quarterback position, whether it's blitzes and, mm -hmm. and knowing where I need to get the ball out and on time because the windows are a lot smaller. People are just faster and know the game better. Uh, between that and just being able to adjust, realize that I'm here for a reason. I need to believe in myself and just go play ball. And so for me, I've always had the mentality, I set my own expectations block out everything else and just go play. And so right now I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can is you know listen to my own expectations because you think about it, like you said, if you try and listen to every uh, critic or piece of advice, it's gonna be a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, you talk about speed and you just miss a physical specimen at wide receiver here at Cleveland named Andrew Hawkins. <laughs> but talk a little bit about Josh Gordon who is yeah. A close second to me when it comes to the... You guys look real similar in the towel, let me tell you. That's what we... Joe, always taking it there, man. Always out there. Super descriptive with the guy bodies. But talk about JG, what you've seen in him this spring. And not him, Jarvis and the receiving core in general and the weapons that you that the Browns have now. No, it, it, we got a lot of receivers that can play ball. And just Jarvis is a guy that, you know, no, he doesn't look like JG, but he has the mentality mm -hmm. and the experience that... You know, he just carries himself the right way. He carries himself, I'm the dog, it doesn't matter how big you are, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to beat you. And right. so then you look at JG, people aren't built like him very often, <laughs> <laughs> just to be honest. you got a 6'4 guy around 230 pounds and can, and can run pretty fast. Uh, he, he's very gifted. And so right now, what we're trying to do is create consistency. Set right. the expectations high and then make sure we stay up there. And where we're getting guys to realize that they got to all run the routes like those guys. we got to have them all in tune and just be on, you know, on the same wavelength. I love it. Have you had a welcome to the NFL moment yet? Yeah, I had three interceptions the first day <laughs> the media were out here. <laughs> that was your welcome to the NFL moment? No, I mean, without getting hit, I'm sure yeah. I'll have a welcome to the NFL. I mean, the average for first year Browns quarterback is like nine. So you're already per game? On, a, on, a good, per game? on a good pace for the first practice. <laughs> but you only threw nine interceptions? He's touchdown, Jesus. We talked about way back at the Super Bowl, 
who was the most famous person in your phone at the time it was justin timberlake i feel like you've only gotten more famous <laughs> since then well who were the famous people that you've I, added? I didn't have him in my phone did i yeah i believe just oh no who did you have in the phone <sighs> We're just gonna go with it because I can't well, remember. Well, Justin that far Timberlake's back. story was when Justin C. <laughs> yeah. and it was like, "Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bake, what's he, up, bro?" Yeah, he was like, "Hey, buddy, We're long time no see." <laughs> yeah, which is not what happens when he sees me. <laughs> but who, I think who was the most famous person in your phone back then? Do you remember? And who have you added? It, it might have been Brett Favre. Did it I might say have been that? Might have been Peyton Manning too. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it was Peyton one Manning. of those. Two. Oh, we didn't even talk about the Brett Favre photo. Well, this is a great transition. Oh, you're, you've here. totally blown it by saying we, <laughs> we didn't, didn't talk about it. No, we didn't. Now we're going to talk this about how the top. So first of all, have you added anybody more famous since then, since the draft, since going number one? I don't think you can really top a couple of those guys. <laughs> Not really. No. So let's talk about the photo then, because that was one of the coolest things that happened right before the draft was this photo that you staged that looked just like when Brett Favre was oh, drafted. Man. I think he was in the late first round uh, coming out. You said privately to me a couple of weeks ago that Brett Favre was the guy that you mm-hmm. most looked up to as a kid. Yeah. So how did this epic, iconic photo that you and your family re- recreated come about? Well, like, I, like you said, he was my favorite. And so anything Brett Favre, our family kind of talks about, it's like, oh, look at this, look at this, the Wrangler commercial, look at him running around throwing a ball in Wranglers, how realistic is that? Uh, stuff like that we just always laugh about. And then when my parents saw the picture of it, we all kind of got a good laugh about it. It was like, oh, what if we did this? Like, look, who would be this? And we, we, and we were just laughing. And this is months before the draft. And then as I was out in California training, and then we started talking about what we're going to do for draft night, who's going to come to town. And then they, they started mentioning that it's going to be, you know, we want to do the photo. And I was like, oh, whatever. Well, little did I know they had been doing some serious online shopping <laughs> on Amazon Prime, having stuff <laughs> shipped in. They're like, hey, uh, Bake, I'm going to need your credit card number for about another couple weeks. I hope that's all right. Thanks. Yeah, and so when I got home, I, w- I got home a week before the draft and was just I stayed there the whole time just to enjoy being around family. Well, boxes started coming in with wigs and shirts and, and wood paper wall uh wood paneling wallpaper and all this stuff and my mom had ordered uh, an old school cell phone and I'm starting to look at this like they're actually being serious about this they're starting to put you know who we want to be in this picture so uh it went from being a complete joke to me showing up and them taking it and running with it golly talk about viral moments man who got left out of the picture who was pissed that they didn't get in the picture my there's always somebody my cousins got in the next day they couldn't make it uh actually they got in later that night so we took it probably about 9 p.m. They, they landed in Austin maybe around 11-ish. They were pretty upset then. <laughs> but uh, it, it was fun. It was fun. So did Brett Favre follow up with you after you guys did that photo? He tweeted back and said something. Uh, I don't know. He, he, he said it was nice. He found time to get off his lawnmower to like, pick say, up Brett his phone. Favre I didn't know he has a, a Twitter account, but that's pretty cool. He's never tweeted at me. He hit me from his burner a couple of times. <laughs> his burner account. When I was was it at, takes when at I not alive. Brett Favre? Yeah, this is Four. not Brett Favre. <laughs> <laughs> so Brett Favre was your favorite quarterback growing up. Is there anybody right now in today's NFL that you try to model your game after or anybody that you really respect? Drew Brees. Uh, you know, being a guy that's not the biggest, I love watching him play. You know, how he is so precise with every movement he does, how just in command he is with his whole team. He knows where to go with the ball. And he's just so accurate. Uh, just a couple of those things that I really like to take pride in. He's just the best at it. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go top five. Who's your top five quarterbacks all time? Let's hurt some feelings, Baker. <laughs> it's time. 
Top five of all time. Who's your goat? Goat has to come off the top of the head. Brady. Brady. All right. So your Brady is the goat guy. I concur. I'm a former Patriots receiver. I don't know if you've heard that or not. But me and Brady, we we had a time together. Baker, just leave. A long stint. We'll leave it at that. Me and that guy. <laughs> Talk about chemistry. Who's your number two? Um, either Montana or Peyton Montana. Manning. Okay. So which one? Montana or Peyton Manning? You said top five. You didn't I know, say but I, five I didn't have, list. There was no order. That was okay, necessary. we'll go no order. Two A, okay. two B. We know Brady's one, right? So mm-hmm. then we got Montana. We got Peyton, two, three. Mm-hmm. You get two more. I'm, I got to put Favre in there. Favre, four. four. Um, so who's left? Who's five? Who's the pinky? We got Drew Brees. No, Drew has not been said yet. I know what I'm saying. Like, who's left? Who's the left? choices you can Drew go with. Brees, Aaron Rodgers, those would be some obvious choices. Yeah. yeah. Or you could go a little bit older could, and start There's going to be so many Steve older Young, generation listeners who are going to blast Joe Namath, Otto Graham. I mean, you got yeah. a lot of old, like old, old, great quarterbacks. Marino or Elway? Marino, Elway, yeah, geez. And at this point, now you're just. Yeah. So let, but let, I would have just. Now you're just trying to get me to make people mad. Yeah, I'm just going to say, I'm going to finish it for him and just say Drew Brees. Because right. he said he loves Drew Brees, and Drew Brees is an all-time great quarterback. So I'll give it to you. We'll Peacekeeper Joe. Yeah, there you go. So uh, only one more question from me. Uh, what's your plans this summer? Uh, obviously, it's going to be a big summer for you. I know the transition from college to the NFL is tough a lot of times because mm-hmm. in college, you spend all summer with your team, you're working out as a team, and all of a sudden now you get to the NFL, and it's like, we'll see you in six weeks. Make sure you're ready for training <laughs> camp. This is the day you show up. Yeah. Be in shape. Be in shape. What is the plan for Baker Mayfield this summer? I'm going to go back to where I did all my combine prep and everything before the draft. Um, and then from there, now that I have my playbook and everything I need to be learning, I'm going to you know, mark it down on my calendar, what I need to study this week, make sure that I progress, and just don't get overwhelmed with it. You know, I'll, I'll be able to work out. That's, that's easy. Stay in shape. I'll have the right place to do it. I have the right people around me. Uh, but just making sure that when I get back late July, that I've closed that gap and I'm able to come in and ready to compete. And that's, that was my goal the whole time, was really to be able to come back and level the playing field as much as I can. I'm a rookie, so <laughs> level it as much as I can going into training camp. Is there any plans for you to get together with any of the other receivers to work on timing or yeah. just throw? We have a couple guys that trained out in California, so that'll be easy. They'll be right around there. And then as we uh, get closer to this, we'll, we'll start nailing down some guys coming out to visit. California's got good weather. Uh, I've I'm heard sure about that. I'm sure yeah. they won't be Wisconsin, mad. Just like Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I famously have not worked out since my last Patriots practice, which was June 9 of 2017. So the last pass I've caught from a quarterback was from Tom Brady. Not sure if you've heard of him. But I'm going to offer that if you need a very slow slot receiver to catch passes, I will be willing to Come break visit. that seal for you, Baker Mayfield. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for joining the Tomahawk Show. Appreciate that, boys. Thank the you. The pleasure is all yours, bud. <laughs> Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs> well, that was an awesome interview with Baker. It was uh, great sitting down with him and letting him open up about his experiences. I'm always curious when a guy like that gets drafted into a situation where he potentially might actually sit for a year or two behind a guy like Tyrod Taylor, what his reaction is going to be to that. Because, you know, Baker's a really super competitive guy. That's part of what has made him so successful up until yep. this point. And it's always interesting to get into the mind of a player like that and see what he really feels about that situation. I think more than anything, I mean, yeah, he's competitive, but he's also smart. And I, I mean, I just don't see what, what's bad about him sitting for a year. And I think he sees that too. I think he sees the benefit and being able to sit there 
and kind of learn the ropes a little bit. I think it's going to be much better for his career. And it takes a smart guy, even though he's super competitive, to be able to see that, that you know, big picture. And I'm excited about him, man. He, he really is a fun, a fun guy. He, he was our first rejoin, I think. He may be the first big-time guest we had that come back on the Tomahawk. And that shows how incredible of a podcast we are. Not to toot my own <laughs> horn, but I'm good at it. So, you know. Well, hey. Uh, this week, NFL teams are wrapping up their mini camps. It's the end of the offseason program. Everyone's getting ready to transition into the five or six weeks that players get in the summer before training camp starts. And it's funny when I walk the streets of Cleveland, you know, with the, with the regular folks on like, yeah, because I'm sure you do that so much. <laughs> people come up to me and they ask me, like, what, what is a mini camp? What is an OTA? They don't even really know. Nobody really understands. When you say spring practice, in college football everybody knows what that means right but what is a mini camp what is an ota hawk um well an ota is an organized training something or another and organized team activity organized team activity thanks nfd so otas are organized team activities where you do a bunch of fake practices as if it's the year and it's a way for coaches to figure out if you are indeed in shape make sure you're not doing things you're not supposed to do in the off season. It's more like babysitting, if you ask me. And mini camp is a mini version of training camp, which sucks. So that's my honest uh, definition of what mini camp and OTAs are, Joe. I think the important differentiation between training camp and mini camp, though, is that mini camp still technically is supposed to be non-contact. Obviously, there is a lot of contact in mini camps. There's hitting, there's blocking, there's sometimes even tackling. But the players won't be wearing shoulder pads, and they're not supposed to be wearing anything but a helmet. Right. So theoretically, that cuts down on the hits that are happening in a mini camp. But in reality, the hits are probably still there, except – now you don't have any padding. So you come out of mini camps a little bit more bruised than you usually would expect in a non-contact practice. I do not think mini camps or OTAs are necessary. That's, that's my hawk take for the day. I don't think they're necessary. I think they're just there. I don't think they make you any better or worse. I think they make you a little bit better. I think being able to get out there and practice your craft always makes you better because especially right. as a lineman, it's a, it's a position that takes a million reps. It takes a million practices of doing it the right way before you figure it out. So I think it does make you a little bit better. I don't think it's all that important. It's especially important for younger players, I think, more than older players. As you get older, I think it's just a way to kind of make sure you're not in trouble <laughs> make sure you're not running this OTAs or minicamp so, the last five years of your career no I, I haven't and I didn't <laughs> I couldn't manage all that extra pounding in the offseason uh, so they, they are a little bit silly but it's definitely a way for coaches to feel better about themselves and break up the monotony of the offseason yeah I mean I understand that if you do anything it makes you better the alternative isn't just sitting on your couch yes it's better than sitting on your couch but if you're working out and and actually what you're yeah. supposed to be in practicing, I don't think you really need it. I played in Canada. We don't have mini camp or no yeah. in Canada. We yeah, I, six months off, six months on. I will say it's probably not the most efficient use of the player's time. If you were by yourself just working out with a trainer or even with your group of guys working out, doing your conditioning, doing your little bit of drills on the side, I think that would be a much more efficient use of your time. But this is what the players and the owners and the coaches have collectively bargained through the CBA. And this is right. what we have. So if you look 20 years ago in the NFL, actually they didn't even do off seasons like this. Most guys would show up and maybe do a three day mini camp. And that was about it. But the OTA thing and like the spring practices that happen in the NFL right now is really uh, something that has 
come up in the last 10 or 15 years and become like a really important part of the offseason, according to right. coaches when you talk to them. And it becomes the big newsmaker of the offseason, right? Is Tom Brady going to be in OTAs? Where is Tom Brady? Is not showing up yet. And people like us in the media, we try to make a big ass deal about what players showed up for OTAs and what players showed up for minicamp. When in the end, they really mean nothing and they're pretty silly overall. Well, you say 20 years ago. It's funny. When you say 20 years ago, which is like 1998, in my mind, it's like 19... Exactly 1998. Yeah. When you say say 20 years ago, my mind automatically goes to the 1980s, which (laughs) shows you how old I'm actually getting. That's surprising. Well, anyways, another player that um, has big off-season news is Mr. Andrew Luck. He's a uh, a formerly great quarterback from the NFL that you guys may have heard about when you were little kids. Formerly uh, great. Wow. That is a deal. He's a guy that hasn't played in I don't know how many years because of a bunch of shoulder surgeries. And there's hope that he'll be able to be, be back week one, be throwing, be back to the regular old Andrew Luck pro bowler that he used to be several years ago. Uh, Hawk, what's your take? Do you think Andrew Luck's finally going to be ready and be healthy for the start of this season? Man, I hope so. For the sake of their franchise. Because I don't think Indianapolis Colts are a good franchise. I actually think that if you remove, and this is a big if, obviously, but they've lucked up, and no pun intended, of getting the first overall pick when Andrew Luck was available and Peyton Manning was available. And if had they not had the first picks those two years, they would be a terrible franchise because they have not done a good job of adding talent around them. And I feel like whenever those two guys are out of the lineup, they are – just as bad as some of the worst Cleveland Browns teams that everyone likes to talk about. So, well, here, here's my take, Hawk. I think they're a poorly run franchise up to this point. I mean, the I agree. Owners had a lot of issues. Um, the franchise has had a lot of issues, and in spite of the enormous good fortune that they've had, had terrible records in the most important years to have terrible records to be able mm-hmm. to draft Peyton Manning inarguably a top five all-time quarterback at one point a lot of people thought he was the greatest of all time now most people say it's Brady and maybe Peyton Manning's two three four somewhere in there but either way to be able to parlay Peyton Manning's career into only one Super Bowl title and then to let him go when they let him go and then have Peyton Manning win a Super Bowl somewhere else but still have the good fortune of being able to get probably one of the greatest young quarterbacks in our league Yes. In Andrew Luck and not be able to go back to the Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl, it really proves how inept that franchise has been because they've had the, the thing that the Browns have not had in many, many years, and that is a great franchise quarterback. So yes. when you don't have that franchise quarterback, it's really, 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 really difficult to turn your franchise around and to be good and to be a playoff team. Once you have it, it's really, really, really hard to screw it up as bad as they've screwed it up and to not be able to be back-to-back-to-back Super Bowls and playoff appearances and be a perennially great team like when you look down the road from Cleveland and Pittsburgh. They've had Ben Roethlisberger, and every single year they're competing for their division. They're competing for the Super Bowl. They've won a couple Super Bowls, and they're a great franchise. And I think that just the dichotomy of those two franchises really shows – how poorly run a team can be and what it can happen and how well run a team can be from the top down and how good that can be for your franchise. I couldn't agree more. And like you said, you look around Andrew Luck, there is hardly any talent around there because it shouldn't be that much of a drop off. And I get how, how important the quarterback is, but Jacoby Brissett isn't that bad of a quarterback. He's actually a, a pretty, solid, pretty solid. Exactly. So 
when you have a solid quarterback, your team should still be able to sustain a little bit, you know? And, and I just feel like if you look around Andrew Luck, and that's half the problem of why he continues to get hurt because they can't protect him. They can't protect him. He doesn't have the weapons he needs. The defense doesn't hold the way it should. And that creates the problems that the Indianapolis Colts franchise has. Well, they did the Detroit Lion thing for a while. They just kept drafting first-round receivers, thinking that they just need more weapons at receiver, and they've kind of right. screwed that up. But you know who actually has an outstanding receiving core? Kind of overnight, they've turned themselves into one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. Let me tell you, before you answer that question, it's the Cleveland Browns. And actually, Josh Gordon came out this week and said, the Browns have the best wide receiver core in the NFL. Andrew Hawkins, are you buying or are you selling? I'm buying, man. I'm buying. Because you look at it like this. In my mind, and on top of his game, Josh Gordon is as good as Julio Jones, as good as DeAndre Hopkins, as good as A.J. Green. So when you have that, could you imagine pairing an A.J. Green with then not just a statistical leader in the NFL – one of the statistical receiving leaders in NFL history to this point in Jarvis Landry. Could you imagine putting Jarvis Landry with Julio Jones? Everyone would say, oh, yeah, that's, that's the best receiving core. Or Jarvis Landry with A.J. Green. Or Jarvis Landry with DeAndre Hopkins. And that's what Cleveland has. They have that big physical freak receiver, and they also have probably the most dependable and reliable receiver in the NFL. And you pair those two, now you got something special. So I'm buying it. Yes, and – not even to mention Corey Coleman, who was a Bolitnikoff winner. Not even to mention Callaway, who was a first-round talent that we stole in the fourth round because of some, you know, off-the-field headlines. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely all in. I think they have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. Actually, the best receiving core in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. If Josh Gordon is able to keep his nose clean, like you mentioned, Jarvis Landry, the guy's an outstanding receiver. He's got amazing hands he's always catching the football he'll be a tremendous weapon for Tyrod Taylor because Tyrod is a guy that takes care of the football he completes passes he moves the ball down the field uh, efficiently and so having a weapon like Jarvis is invaluable for a quarterback like Tyrod then you throw in a deep threat a guy that they have to double cover they have to have specific game plans for like Josh Gordon that's a a one-two punch that any team's going to struggle with And then a guy like Corey Coleman, who really hasn't shown his potential yet. He's had a few injuries. He's had some issues in his first couple years. But he really has an opportunity to have a breakout season because he sees the greatness around him. And I think he's the type of person that that will elevate his level and open up the field for a guy like Corey Coleman to have a big year. And as things go well, you know, Corey Coleman, his personality, he's the type of guy that Things start going well for him. He starts working a little bit harder. Then they start going a little bit better for him. He works a little bit harder. He becomes more committed. And all of a sudden, that becomes the fabric of who he is. He's a guy that's a hardworking player that wants to win, that's competitive. And that room becomes competitive. We've all seen it in different places throughout our career and other people's career. All of a sudden, that room you're in, that environment that creates competition and you crave the football and you crave going out and working together, that really builds a great chemistry and a great room for success. And I think that's what the Browns are going to have. And I'm, I'm excited to watch that this season. I think you're exactly right. And the competition part is the most important. You can't be competitive in the league if you're not competitive within your own team. And I feel like that's what we've lacked in Cleveland that we have now. You look at the quarterback situation, you have Baker Mayfield chasing Tyrod, and Tyrod's in a position where he has to fend off Baker Mayfield. 
It's a healthy competition. That's how the NFL is. If you look at the running back room, you have Duke Johnson just signed a big deal. We signed Carlos Hyde. Nick Chubb just got drafted. So you have three backs who are all vying for carries, and they're competing amongst each other in the receiving core. You said it exactly right. Corey Coleman is in a position where the pressure is off him. He doesn't have to be the guy. He doesn't have to take on the weight of the world because he has two very good receivers in the room with him. So it's like whenever you get your opportunity, all you have to do is make the most of it, and that helps you become a better receiver. And I was in a very similar situation when I was in Cincinnati, and we had myself, who, if I can humbly say so myself, is one of the best receivers to ever touch the pigskin. And then we had A.J. Green, mm-hmm. we had Mohamed Sanu, we had Marvin Jones, but we had a collection of really good wideouts who were in competition with each other 24-7, and when their opportunities came, all they did was make the most of it. There's a lot of synergy in football. Um, one plus one equals three in a lot of uh, position groups. So, you know, you look at the receiver group, you get a couple good guys, and all of a sudden that makes the third guy better. You get a couple good defensive ends, that makes the defensive tackles better. Mm-hmm. You get a, a couple good linemen, that makes everybody better. So when the tide comes in, all those boats rise. And I think you look at the receiver position with Cleveland, that's exactly what you're going to see. Exactly. What's up, Tomahawk fans? I'm sure you're all wondering how Joe and I came to be the greatest duo in football and podcast history. After playing together on the field for years and spending countless hours in the studio, we've gotten to know each other pretty well. We have. Uninterrupted and State Farm are teaming up to bring you The Sixth Sense, where NBA teammates like Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner show how they get each other like no one else, like me and Joe. Check out the latest episode of The Sixth Sense on YouTube.com slash uninterrupted. And maybe you can get a teammate off the court or off the field that gets you to and even finishes your sandwiches. No, Hawk, I meant sentences. Uh, Anyways, like we do here on the Tomahawk Show. But, you know, it's a good segue here to talk NBA, which doesn't make sense to you right now. But let me tell you a story. Mm-hmm. So, as we know, the Cavs lost. They got swept 4-0 by the, by the Warriors. I'm hurt, but for the sake of the story, I'll continue on. Here's where the overlap is. I went to game three with my receiver Cincinnati buddy. So A.J. Green came in town. Andy Dalton came in town. Mo Sanu came in town. Brandon LaFell and Darquez uh, Denard also came in town. So we all went to the Cleveland game together. I'm like, oh, come to Cleveland. Show you, give you a little taste of my city now, right? This is this is how I've been living the last. My city, wow. My city, Cleveland guy. LeBron city. No, no, no. I'm the king, but no. So we go to the game, and for people who don't know, we get you know, there's like a special entrance. You can go to the players' entrance. You know, like Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas can't come in with the commoners, right? Joe Thomas is a king. They roll the they roll the red carpet out for him to get in and come into a private entrance. Him and his wife, security everywhere, all of that. So we piggyback off Joe Thomas' name. We get into that same entrance. <laughs> We're all having a good time. We had the game. It was a good game. Kevin Durant, he actually went off, went like 40-plus points, so we ended up losing the game, obviously. After the game, we go to leave. Now we're walking out. I mean, the Kardashians are coming out. The Cavs players are coming out this way. All the celebrities you can imagine, actors, Chris Tucker's coming out. AJ gets a call from the – the, the sprinter driver who drove the, the sprinter van we came in, the sprinter van that they took from Cincinnati to Cleveland got towed. Oh, they, no. They had practice in the morning. <laughs> they have the OTA the very next morning. Oh, no. The sprinter van is towed. So apparently the driver went in to somewhere to watch the game. 
the Sprinter van gets towed. They won't, the company won't open the gates to let them get the Sprinter van or their stuff out. Oh, oh no. Stranded. So we're up. I got a 6 a.m. flight to LA. Oh. Up to like two in the morning trying to figure this out. They end up taking an Uber from <laughs> Cleveland to Cincinnati. Oh. I think they spent like a thousand bucks on, a, oh on an SUV to, to, to take a Sprinter or oh. uh, an Uber to Cincinnati. So that's, that's how we ended game three. Oh, boy. So the worst thing that happened to you that day was not that the Cavs lost no. to the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> it was that you and your buddies had to Uber. Well, not you, but your buddies had yeah. to Uber back to Cincinnati. Oh, my goodness. That, that's how my time hosting them in Cleveland ended. Well, that was expensive for them. And uh, you know what else was expensive? Uh, Reggie Bush just won a $12.5 million lawsuit against the now Los Angeles Rams for slipping on the concrete when they were playing in uh, St. Louis, I don't know, that was probably 2015. What was that, like three, four years ago? It was and 2015. Yeah. They didn't have the proper non-slip mats around the field. And so he had a carrier, he caught the ball, and he was running out of bounds. And he slipped towards meniscus, and he had to get surgery, and then he just won a huge judgment against the Rams. So the people in St. Louis – the Rams screwed him. They stuck it to him, and they left for L.A. And now the people in St. Louis got to stick it to the Rams a little bit, <laughs> and uh, they have to pay pittance for a team like the Rams. But $12.5 million to Reggie Bush. What's your take? That happened either right before or right after we played them in St. Louis that same year. Because I remember Josh McCown also slipped. He didn't hurt his knee, Ooh. but he also slipped on the same. Too bad for him. Too Could have been a $12.5 million slip. I got a concussion because I got ran over by a D tackle who got the ball. Did you get any money? I got zero dollars. Oh, I would pay. I would cut one of my fingers off. <laughs> trade injuries with Reggie right. Bush. Here's a question. Year. So Here's I a question. Here's million. a question. How far would you go with bodily injury to be able to win that judgment that Reggie Bush got? Now this is twelve point five million after taxes, right? Because I, yeah, I tax believe free. this is tax free money when you win like an yeah. injury settlement i believe yep. you know if there's any attorneys out there listening you could call in and tell us differently uh tweet us a hashtag tomahawk let us know but i think when you win this type of an injury settlement it's tax-free so that's like basically 25 million in salary from yeah. these guys. so that's like one andrew hawkins year with the cleveland browns in salary i'd give three fingers three fingers that yep. you wouldn't do four but you do three three is my limit Three, because I can do two on one hand and one on the other. Which fingers? I'd probably take off the right pinky, okay. um, the left pinky, and probably the the middle on the left. Middle. You wouldn't be able to flick off your fans anymore if you gave up <laughs> that middle finger, though. I still, I still got sure. the right hand for that, for to flick people <laughs> off on Twitter. <laughs> You'd Dude. be using the flick off emoji way more. <laughs> So I think I would probably give up my right pinky because that's already kind of jacked up. I, I think I broke like my yeah. last knuckle on my right pinky early in my career and that thing doesn't work very well anyway. So I'd definitely give that one up. Um, I kind of like my left pinky because it's the straight one. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to keep that one, but I, I could give up my like, uh, I'd probably give up my right ring finger too. So I just have three fingers. I'd be like a teenage mutant ninja turtle on my right hand. I'd be I'd okay go. with that, but I wouldn't go any further. I'd go... I'd go two fingers and four toes. Yeah, I could give up a lot of toes. I give up all my toes. So yeah. eight toes and two fingers. I could probably give all ten. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to have run around, not that you have to anymore anyway. I but I haven't done it in a year. If you I don't would, have your big okay. toe. Hey, NFD, okay. what would you give up for that twelve point five million settlement? 
my face. <laughs> Which he doesn't have anyway, so uh, it's a moot point. Now everyone knows what's, what the salary we pay NFD. <laughs> we, we already gave him that $12.5 to give up his face. So, Speaking of uh, $12.5 million, that will be a down payment on the money you're going to have to spend <laughs> on the Cavs losing the NBA championship. You sat down with Demarius Randall, who would have been the other counterpart. It, one of you would have had to, to shell out millions for the jerseys you promised the Twitter sphere. Yep. Hey, hang on. Okay. $1.5 Not millions. <laughs> $1.5 in jerseys. And his was even worse because he had over a million retweets. Uh, it was probably about equal because he was just regular jerseys. Yours were game-worn and signed jerseys. So you're probably both shelling out about a billion dollars. But you got to sit down with Demarius and talk about this. And we actually have that audio right here. And now I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming one of the greatest Twitter gangsters of all time, the great Browns quarterback, Demarius Randall. Thank you for being on the Tomahawk Show. Oh, definitely. Thanks for having me, Joe. I'm really excited. I know um, you had a little bit of a history with Cleveland fans as of last year, but now we're lucky enough. We're John Dorsey was able to trade for you this offseason, and people are excited to see what you got out there on the field. Um, Let's get right into it. Uh, you and I had a little bit of a uh, Twitter feud here a couple weeks ago. You made the bold prediction, bold or maybe not bold, that the Golden State Warriors were going to win over the Cavs in the finals. And uh, being that you just got traded to Cleveland, the Cleveland fans jumped all over you. And you, you said that if the Golden State Warriors lose, you will buy everybody a jersey if they retweet it. And how many retweets did you get? Um, it was somewhere around 1.1 million. Um, some crazy number like that. Um, it was quite. It, I mean, it was quite interesting. Um, I mean, I didn't think it would blow up as fast as quick as it did because I tweeted it at 11:59 p.m. <laughs> and I woke up in the morning and it was like at 300k. And I tried to get on Twitter and my phone kept freezing. And I'm like, <laughs> what is going on? And I'm just like, this shit was crazy, man. Were you surprised with how quickly it blew up and how many people did you think would actually retweet it? Honestly, I, I mean, I probably thought it would be a few hundred, like, would just laugh at it and just knew it was a joke. But um, but just like I said, I fell asleep. And, I mean, obviously I had maybe a booze or two before I tweeted it. But, I mean, um, uh, but, I mean it was just amazing to me how, like, like how excited Cleveland – fan base got because of that and um and I felt like it started bringing people together that probably people that didn't think Cleveland had a chance to win the finals and like people started gathering hope and um and that's just one big thing that I got out of it yeah I think that was it was really fun um obviously you made your tweet and uh, being a guy that's been in Cleveland for 12 years I've been a Cavs fan since I got out here in 2007 um I had to bounce right back at you. And then I, I tweeted the exact opposite. I said, hey, anybody that uh, retweets my tweet, I will buy you a game-worn, signed NBA jersey from anybody that you want if the Warriors beat the Cavs. And I only got like 300,000 retweets. So uh, you're over 1 million retweets to my 300,000 retweets. Do you think that means that most people thought the Cavs were going to actually win and not the Warriors? Um, I don't know. I mean, um, it's just maybe, um, cause I'm actually still waiting on my Jersey from you. I want, oh, um, wow. I actually want a Steph Curry Jersey, you know, sign <laughs> game one, game, uh, three, hopefully, because that's the game he played very well. But mm -hmm. I mean, um, but anyways, um, 
No, um, I, I, um, I mean, I actually thought it was pretty quite interesting whenever people started mentioning me up in your tweet, and um, <laughs> and I actually started laughing about it because I think I had just seen you walk around the locker room and like you didn't say nothing to me about it, so I, I was just like, hey, Joe, like, uh, don't you think you could have mentioned that to me uh, a little bit before? But I mean, um. But it was very, very nice. I mean, um, I actually like the mention that you gave me. And um, obviously, you've seen I had to give you a, re, a retweet on that uh -huh, one. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm working on the jerseys right now. Obviously, uh, 300,000 jerseys don't just show up overnight, especially the game-worn type. Um, did you have a number in mind in your head like, all right, if the Cavs do win – I'm willing to buy a hundred jerseys or I'm willing to buy a thousand jerseys or were you just so confident that Golden State was going to win you hadn't even taken your mind down that path of what happens if the Cavs do win? Well, me and my marketing guy took maybe 10 to probably 20 minutes to kind of talk about it and um, and a lot of different companies was reaching out to me like the Fanatics and like uh, just a bunch of different companies that make jerseys and um and I mean, I actually had a plan in place not to buy all 1.1 million, but I mean, I had a plan in place to probably buy somewhere between 10 to 20,000 jerseys. Wow, that's still pretty amazing. Uh, well, now, of course, that the Cavs lost, I'm on the hook for 300,000 game-worn signed jerseys, of course. And I did the math, and uh, would you like to guess how much money that's going to cost me? Game-worn sign? Um, I would say... Wow. Um, probably about $20 million. So I did the math. If you figure a Steph Curry game-worn signed jersey is probably about $5,000, then I'm on the hook for $1.5 billion with a B dollars in NBA jerseys, not to mention the many lifetimes it's going to take me to package and mail out 300,000 individual jerseys. And on top of that, going to every NBA player's house in the last four years and stealing all of the jerseys that he has. Do you think that's something that I can do? Um, I mean, what I learned about you is to never doubt you. I mean, um, a guy that made over 10,000 consecutive starts up in this crazy grinded out league, I mean, honestly, I would not doubt you. So are you willing to help me financially or with your time to be able to fill, fulfill this $1.5 billion jersey order? Well, I don't think I can quite help you out financially just yet. Um, but time, I mean, my time is here. I mean, uh, just whatever you need, just let me know. And, I mean, I will feel free to help you. Hey, that's what friends do. I really appreciate that offer. Now, one thing that was interesting, we were shooting the breeze in the training room earlier today, and you told me actually you're not even a Warriors fan. So you're just throwing stuff out there, but you're actually a Pistons fan. How did you grow up to be a Detroit Pistons fan? Um, well, um, my family is from Detroit, and um, and I actually grew up and I seen some of the real basketball back in the days, the Detroit Pistons bad boys, and um, I actually went to a couple games, and I mean, I just been a Pistons fan, a uh, Pistons fan ever since. Let's get into a little bit of football conversation here before I let you go. I know that uh, earlier in the podcast I alluded that uh, you and Josh Gordon had a kind of a fun on-the-field feud, and then it, it took to Twitter, but now you guys are teammates. Have you had the opportunity during OTAs or at all this spring to match up against Josh Gordon? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, um, and it's just been good up on good every time that we match up. I mean, just two, uh, just two great players just kind of going at it, competing and just making each other better. How do you think he's going to make you better and you're going to make him better, being that you'll probably battle a lot this training camp? 
Uh, cause he's one of the best receivers up in the league, and um, and whenever you get to get that matchup like that up in practice, I mean, it can only get you ready and prepare for each and every Sunday. Greg Williams being your new defensive coordinator here in Cleveland, what's your outlook for the defense going into the fall? A lot of lot of intensity, running to the ball, like a lot of hard hitting. I mean, um, we're gonna have eleven hats to the ball, and uh, everybody's going is gonna hit and fight for the ball each and every play. Demarius, thanks for being on the Tomahawk Show. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad I did not go in with you on, on that Twitter promise, Joe, because I think you and Annie are going to be moving into Section 8 housing soon. Um, you know what time it is. Let's go to uh, Q&A, man. What we got, NFD? All right. All these questions today come from our Reddit page, the Tomahawk Show. First one, Slipstream Work asks, World Cup starts this week. Who are your favorites to win? Um, well, I haven't exactly been dialed in to World Cup. I'm going to go with America. The USA is going to win the World Cup. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Hawk, I will bet you $1.5 billion in game-worn, game-used, signed NBA jerseys that America won't score a point, not even one point, not even a tie in this year's World Cup. Is it a deal? <laughs> Get out of here, man. I'm sitting on the Google right now. I know America's not in it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my favorite, I'm going to go with Germany again. I remember uh, about four years ago, I think Germany won the World Cup. Those white boys from Germany are so good at passing and like (laughs) robot-like coordination on the field that I think it's going to be hard for anybody to beat them. Who won the last World Cup? I think Germany did. That's why I said Germany. Who'd they play in the championship? I don't know for sure, but if I had to guess, it would be Argentina or somebody like that. Brazil, I'm maybe. Going, I'm going with Brazil. Yeah, Brazil's always a good choice. They have excellent soccer for years and years, and they still have great players. I agree. What else we got in FD? This next question comes from Cleveland Rocks 14. Hey, boys, new listener. My girlfriend got me on the show, and it's great so far. I want to know, what is the last concert you each went to? I think the last concert I went to was Jay-Z and Beyonce in Cincinnati. Mm. Hmm. on the run tour how was it it was good my wife is a big beyonce fan i'm a big jay-z fan it was mm-hmm. like a best of both worlds coming together mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. it was a good time hmm. we actually went with marvin jones and his wife that's how long ago it was we were still cincinnatians wow. back then that is a while i've been to a concert more recently but i'm trying to remember which one it was so in the last year get this mix and this eclectic mix, this kind of gives you an insight a little bit into all of my various interests. But in the last year, I've gone to see Jay-Z. I've gone to see ACDC. I've gone to see Shania Twain. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and uh, the Canadian Beyonce. And Florida like Georgia Line. <laughs> oh, wow. That is a mix. So, and yeah, you were I trying like, to go to the Pink concert too, weren't you? Oh, I would definitely see Pink. I love Pink. She's awesome. Yeah. I can. How about this? I can respect good entertainers no matter what the genre. Like, if yeah. you're talented at what you're doing, I will go to opera. I will go see a play. I, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're the best at what you do, I'm definitely interested in, like, hearing about it, seeing it, finding more out about it because I'm just a curious person. That makes sense, man. That means you're a, uh, you really are a connoisseur of entertainment. Not me. You said that with a lot of passion and conviction. Yeah, I believe it so much. (laughs) Um, I'm reading off a card that Joe slipped me right now while we're recording. (laughs) He's trying to get a a Spotify sponsorship. (laughs) NFD, what else we got? 
All right. Our last question here comes from Chipmunks. Favorite 90s TV show? Maybe you guys can make a draft, but here are my guesses for you guys. Joe strikes me as a step-by-step kind of man, seeing as how it was set in Wisconsin. Hawk sounds a tad like Waldo Geraldo Faldo. Family Matters is my guess for him. NFD has got to be saved by the bell because he's smooth like Zach Morris and smart like Jesse Spano. Okay. I did not off, write that, by the way. Before and, we answer this and question. And Saved by the Bell is my favorite. So that guy NFD, was spot on. You have to stop submitting your own questions for q <laughs> I that knew you were not, That is not how this works. But my favorite 90s show. Hmm. My favorite 90s show is probably The Fresh Prince. My favorite 80s mm. show is Golden Girls. Golden Girls is actually. <laughs> Golden Girls in the 80s, really? Isn't that 80s? I don't know. Maybe. Me either. But that's my favorite show of all time. Really? Golden Girls. Yep. I watch it literally every single night before I go to bed for the last 12 years. I'm not sure how to take that. Hey, take I remember it. Seeing, I remember seeing an interview you did a long time ago saying you would watch Golden Girls before games. Every night. game. I yeah. remember that. Wow. It just, it just settles me. Think how good you could have been if you would have been watching like a testosterone boosting show <laughs> before bed instead of the Golden Girls. <laughs> no wonder I was crying before every game. Yeah, right. Wow. No wonder you're so emotional. Hey, so actually my two favorite shows, believe it or not, from the 90s were Saved by the Bell and Fresh Prince. Those were the two shows that I really liked to watch. I watched a lot of them. Um, that 70s show, I don't know if that was a 90s show or not. I can't remember. I did watch that a little bit. That was like an early thousands, I think. I, maybe. Um, that 70s show, coincidentally, was a Wisconsin-based show, so there was some pride there. There you and go. I didn't really get into too many other shows. We, we didn't have cable growing up, and I wasn't really allowed to watch TV, so uh, oh, usually okay. my mom just kicked me outside and made me run around with the, the neighborhood hooligans. And That's probably why your knees hurt so bad. Yeah, <laughs> too much playing as a kid. <laughs> said nobody ever. <laughs> well, it's that time again. I think we need to hit up the NFL Network Top 100 and give our reactions. Okay, hold on, hold on. We, I would love to, but I don't think we really had the time for this episode. So I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Tomahawk. We'll talk about the top 100 next week for sure. Make sure you subscribe, rate five stars, hit us up on Twitter with the hashtag Tomahawk, and check out our Reddit page too. Let us know what you're thinking. We love the interaction. Um, and that's it. See you next week. Joe Hawk yourself. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs>